I am your host, Dom Taylor, and today we are talking to the fabulous, fantastic, and brilliant Dallas Lehman. Our topic today is survivor guilt, really, right? Like this, the silver lining and grief of survivor guilt and how to deal with when you're still alive and someone else isn't. Before we get started, I want to tell you a little bit about our guest today so you can be as excited as I am. Dallas is, I don't even know how to describe Dallas. She is fearless. She's a fighter. She's scrappy. She's so passionate about creating this like space for you to untangle your life, your money stories, all these things. She's an intuitive financial coach. That's right. So she does, she's an executive coach that does work around like money and all your beliefs and stuff on that. So if you're interested in finding her, please go check out the show notes. All of her contact stuff is there. But she also is the co-founder of uh, Charity. Um, Hello, Amy's House. Like she has done all of the craziest cool things. And yeah, she's one of my favorite humans. So I just want to say welcome to the show, Dallas. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. So let's dive in. What is it you wish people were talking about? So over the last four years, it has been an incredibly interesting journey through grief and recovery and losing a best friend. Somebody who was actually more like a sister than a best friend was absolutely devastating and being self-employed at the time i had to figure out a way to a not go bankrupt because i didn't feel like getting out of bed in the morning but i also had to find a way to really just find new meaning in life when she passed away it was like if somebody like that can leave this earth so early then why am I here? And why am I the one that got to stay when she had to go? At that time, she was a mother of two young children. Um, Annie and Christian were seven and nine when she passed. And she was so little, like so little. And she was this brilliant community connector. She built community everywhere she goes. She was this vibrant, vivacious, incredible person. And I remember thinking at the time, like I would trade places hundred percent. I would have trade places. I would have taken the cancer bullet so that she could have stayed and continued her journey and raised her kids and done everything else like that. And so it's about that guilt of why her and not me. And now how am I going to make the rest of my life something that I deem worthy of not being able to have her here with me because we lost such a bright shining light when she had to leave us. Totally. So Dallas is talking about this amazing woman named Amy and Amy Elaine. And she was, she, I knew her, she was this, just this 
mm-hmm. vibrant little spitfire. Like she was this tiny, petite, redhead. <laughs> she just, <laughs> that sums her up right there. She was a tiny, petite spitfire of a redhead, right? But she was this outstanding human. And I know um, we've both dealt with grief. We've both dealt with loss and grieving and death and all of these things. And I remember when I was doing my grief training um, to become a grief facilitator, one of the things that guys said was like, grief isn't personal and it doesn't have favorites. Like it doesn't, right? Like it doesn't pick and choose. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like it, it just happens. Yeah. And it was a funny statement when he said it because people in the class got real angry, like <laughs> really angry because we, we need to think that there's a timeline on grief and death and we need to think that there's a reason and we need, we need to believe those things. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but sitting back and having to accept that and deal with that and process like Amy wasn't your first friend that you've lost either right and so and we can dive more into that but it's interesting how so many people when death happens when death happens and grief is going on right we drown you drown, you're trying to cope, you're trying to hold it together, you're trying to get through that. And if you're willing to talk about it a bit, I'd also love to dive into like how you have grieved and like, like actual hands-on tangible things that you did to help you through the process. But also it is interesting how it's so easily forgotten after, Mm -hmm. right? their life, their legacy, what they've done, all of those things. And I have found, and tell me if I'm wrong, but there's also this piece of like, when someone is dying or when they've died, everyone's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to do something different and I'm going to shift my legacy and I'm going to change all these things. And then they don't, or they do for like six months. And then they go back to who they were. And then the person is so easily forgotten. And there's this interesting feeling of like, will I be that easily forgotten? Mm -hmm. Are people never going to talk about me again? And I don't know. One of the things that that brings up for me that I find really interesting is I think there's more of a fear. Another friend of mine who recently lost her son, we were talking about it and the idea that grief is contagious, like people don't want to talk about the sad stuff because they're like, oh no, I might catch it. I might catch it or I don't want to make you cry. I don't want to upset you. I don't want to do all of these things. And so they, they simply do not address it. They don't talk about that person anymore. And so it becomes this unsaid elephant in the room where they're like, oh, I know you're sad, but I don't know what to do about it. So I'm just going to do nothing and pretend that everything's okay and hope that you just pull through it. And then it leads to this 
this feeling of isolation, this feeling of not actually being able to talk about the feelings and having to wade through everything on your own. And if I could describe what it feels like at the beginning, it's like you're up to your neck in a mud pit and you're trying to walk through this like thick sludge right? because it, it, it colors absolutely every part of your waking existence and sometimes your dreams. So it's just, I wish people would in a way, just talk about grief, period. Don't be afraid to mention the person that passed away. Don't be afraid to talk about the memories that made you laugh or the amazing person that they were. There's a very good chance that their friends and loved ones are going to break down and cry, but that doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. Hey, so... I love this because when my mom passed away, it felt like everyone just like took white out to her existence. It was so wild. And I've had people over the years be like, why do you keep talking about her? And I'm like, because I don't want to forget her. But mm-hmm. also like there's moments, there's moments, right? Like at Christmas, my mom's been gone since 2008 and at Christmas, I was looking around at my nieces and nephews and I was like, oh my word, my mom would have died. Like she would have laughed so hard in this moment or thought this was so amazing to Mm -hmm. see all of these kids here. And, and I said something and my nephew's girlfriend actually started asking me questions about my mom. And so we're telling stories and we're laughing and we're talking and I was like, why is this such a thing? Like, why can we not do this? But also the fact that like, do you find there's this odd belief that like tears are always the negative? Yes. Like people have this idea in their heads that it's like, no crying is sadness and sadness is bad. Yeah. Instead of like, no, sometimes it's like (laughs) sad because you're missing them, but... (laughs) But also like sad because you're like, no, this is so beautiful. And this is such a beautiful moment. And tears can come from beauty the same as they can come from pain. Absolutely. And I think the other part of it too is the dichotomy that we've put on emotions. Sadness and anger are bad. Therefore, you should not express them. And <laughs> I love that you even went robot voice with that. It's, like that is such an ingrained belief. And, and it's an ingrained societal belief. And yet, if we don't learn how to express these emotions, they get trapped inside our bodies. And then, and then what? We end up becoming physically and mentally ill because of it. And so it's actually the best thing to do. If I'm crying, it is a beautiful moment because that means that my body and my spirit is actually moving through that emotion as opposed to trying to push it down. And that's what I did the first time I had a friend pass away. So I'm going to talk about George really briefly. And 
So George was uh, very similar to Amy. He was just this fantastic human being. And I remember when I first met him, I was coming out of a pretty terrible, well, I met him while I was in the terrible relationship, but he was one of my major support people while I was in that relationship yeah. and after I left it. And he actually made me feel like I was seen for the first time in a long time. I remember wow. this time walking into a pub. It was his birthday and he literally dropped everything that he was doing. And he walked over and he's like, wow, you made it. I'm so happy you're here. And that was the first time that I felt like somebody had done that for me. And I was like, oh my God, you actually think I'm special. Like, wow, thank you. And there was never any uh, romantic feelings or anything like that. It was just this, this fantastic friendship. And he's also one of the people that was part of the group of four. So it was George, myself, Amy, and Robbie. And so oh, two of those people gone so soon, yeah. it was like a double whammy. But when George passed away, he was killed um, in an IED explosion in Afghanistan. Yeah. And he was a middle school teacher as well as in the Army Reserves. And he was doing a tour as a combat engineer and his purpose was to be helping to rebuild the Afghan nation. And he was so passionate about trying to bring stability and peace and community and all of these things back to a completely different culture. And he had this 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 smile and this joking manner and it was exuded in everything. So to this day, his students actually post on his rest in peace, his memorial page on Facebook, Mr. Miak, you would be so proud or Mr. Miak, I thought of you today when. And so he was having these massive impacts on everyone around him. And when he passed away, I internalized that grief. Like you couldn't touch it. You couldn't say his name. You couldn't talk about anything because it was one of those things where I just couldn't, I couldn't look at it. I couldn't move through it. I couldn't do anything. And so it's like, I wrapped it up in paper mache and duct tape and barbed wire and I buried it in my heart. <laughs> And you dealt with grief like a lot of people do. 100%. 100%. The listeners and hear this. <laughs> that is actually like a weirdly normal response to grief, whether it's healthy or not. You're not alone. So keep going, Absolutely. Dallas. Absolutely, you're not alone. And there was also that discomfort of people around me not wanting to talk about him, not wanting to talk about the loss, not wanting to uh, trigger me, so to speak. And I think that actually made it more detrimental in the long term because the grief got stuck. 
I remember going to a Reiki appointment at one point, and this was uh, probably about six or seven years after he passed away. And the Reiki lady, I guess, master, Reiki master, that's the word. Uh, she came up to my heart chakra and she's like, you are completely blocked here. And then she asked, you've lost somebody. And I started talking about George and this massive burst of energy came off my chest all of the lights flickered out in the room oh, and wow. then they came back on and I was like, whoa, that's what I've been holding inside this whole time. And it wasn't until that moment where I was actually able to start processing the grief, where I was actually able to start talking to George and telling him all of the things that I wanted to do. But during that time when I had bottled up the grief, it affected all of my relationships, every single one of them, romantic, platonic, familial, everything was colored with this like, you know, gray kind of window because I had this weird feeling that if I let people get too close, I would just get hurt again when I lost them. And so it was like keeping everybody at arm's length. And it was suffocating. It was absolutely suffocating. Yeah. And so when Amy passed away, it was a it was a wake up call because not only had I gone through this before, but it was, what do I do now? If this can happen, what kind of meaning do I need to have in my life to make it okay for me to live and be happy yeah. and experience joy when two of my best friends have passed away far before their time? Yeah. So I want to go into this a little bit because one of the things that you and I actually did together, and I hope it's okay to talk about this, yeah, is we did some pre-grieving mm -hmm. on Amy. Would yes. you be willing to talk about that a little bit and what that looked like for you and how impactful that was for you? in how you dealt with your grief different. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, and emotions. <laughs> Alice just took the biggest deep breath <laughs> to like ground herself for a second again. It's all right, girl. You're safe. We got you. And thank you. Um, this is the thing about grief where it's moments that you think you're going to be okay. And then something hits that button and you're like, Oh crap. There's yeah. the emotions. <laughs> oh, yes. and I've learned to just let them come that deep breath that allow tears, all of these things. But when it comes to the pre grieving, it was really about preparing myself for the inevitable. The majority of the time that Amy was going through her cancer journey, 
I tried to remain as positive as possible. And it wasn't until the final few months where things really took a turn for the worst and the writing was on the wall. And so in working with you, it was literally one of those moments where you said you have a choice in how you move through this. And that to me was like, really, I have a choice. <laughs> yeah, you you maybe didn't um, respond to that <laughs> in a help, maybe a positive way. <laughs> well, and and it's not even that it, I wasn't responding to it in a positive way. It was this this disbelief that I could actually take control of the situation to a certain extent, yeah. and Absolutely. so some of the work that we did was making sure that nothing was left unsaid, writing the letters and making sure that she knew how important she was to me. And I just, at the end of the day, um, I was thinking about it this morning, uh, getting ready to do the podcast and the last day that she was with us, I drove to the hospital in the early afternoon. And I remember parking my car in the parking lot and I sat there and I scream cried for a good 15, 20 minutes before pulling myself together and walking into the hospital and then being as strong as I could for her family that was there who hadn't moved through the process as much as I had. And so I went from the grieving person to the caregiver in an essence of allowing them to talk about the fear of her leaving and the hole that it was going to leave and helping to just move through those moments. And I never would have been able to do that or be present in that capacity had I not worked to accept the fact that this was something that was absolutely inevitable. And it was the most beautiful thing The last thing I said to Amy was, I love you. And at this point, she was mostly nonverbal and she managed to squeak out an I love you too. And I walked out of the hospital that day knowing that absolutely nothing was left unsaid. She knew how much I loved her. And even though when I got the text later that night that she had indeed passed away and it turned into this void, it was, it wasn't as painful. It was more a, okay, I can breathe. She's no longer in pain. This hurts, but it's okay. Everything's going to be okay. And I think it's, I often challenge people when they're going through something like that, right? Is like, when you know something is going on, you need to pre-grieve. Like, Mm -hmm. process a lot of that stuff in advance and allow yourself to get some of that out of the way. As funny as that might sound, right? Like, to allow yourself to kind of go there. 
and mm-hmm. allow yourself to feel some of those feels in advance and create a plan around it. But we're so busy trying to like negotiate with the universe to keep them alive forever. <laughs> we're not, yeah. we're not right. Like we're not actually willing to be like, no, no, no. Something might actually not go a hundred percent according to plans. And I remember you and I talking about that at one point. And I said, you know what though? I said, if you've done all this work and at the end she lives, what was the harm? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? What was the harm in that? And so one thing I did want to ask you about is not only about like the legacy piece that you want to now leave and all of that, but how, how are you finding creating relationships with people and allowing yourself to get close to people and connect to people when some of the closest people to you in your life have passed so young? I have more close relationships now than I've ever had in my life. And I'm going to pop into a little bit of what we chatted about right before starting the recording. And this idea that if I were to sit down at a table with all of the women who supported me in creating the change to be able to make a legacy, I would have 15 women sitting at the table with me. And I never would have had that before. And what it's come down to is because I'm allowing myself to openly grieve. It's been four years since Amy passed away and I'm still grieving, but it doesn't have that same sharpness to it anymore. It's more of a man. This would have been so awesome if you were here because I know you would be so elated to see whatever it is, whether it be the charity that was started in her foundation. And I'm allowed to give myself permission. I have given myself permission to find joy in the fact that I had the privilege of knowing somebody like that. I had the privilege of Show, has, having somebody show me what it means to be a true friend. And I had the privilege of being able to go through my ugly duckling moments of growing up and becoming a woman with somebody who embraced me so fully as a person. And so when I lost that, it and having gone through the pre grieving process, it was no longer, well, if I've lost that, I'm never going to have it again. The new mindset became, I know what's possible. I know what's possible in relationships. And of course, it takes time to build trust. And of course, it takes time to reach that level where you're so fully open with somebody that you feel like they are a soul sister. Um, But 
I have that with so many people now. And am I going to lose them over time? Absolutely, I will. And I will never know how or when. I don't know if it's going to be we simply grow apart because of life or, you know, as I get older, I'm going to go through more deaths. I'm going to go through more grieving, but I can now look at those opportunities as celebration. I can celebrate what I have. Beautiful. Yeah. Like it's as I'm talking about this, my my chest, like my heart center is just like it it just feels so full and so at peace and so calm. And I never knew that this was possible in grief. I never I never would have thought this would be possible. I think so much of it is a choice. It is. It is choosing. So it's interesting hearing you talk about this because I'm coming at it from the other side as the person who's almost died so many times and had this like death sentence, right? And it's a conversation I had last night actually with a friend was... I have spent so many years not connecting to people to protect them from the pain of my death Mm -hmm. and having to be with me as I dealt with health issues and different things of, you know, this, this belief that I was always too much. Mm -hmm. Right. And as you're talking, I'm like, it's one of my one of my shifts that I've been making over this last year is actually allowing myself to connect to people and allowing mm-hmm. people into a different level. And anyone who's been in my life for a long time knows I always hold just people at a certain level. That's like as close as you get. Yeah. Like <laughs> and everyone in my world is like, I wish that you would just like let people a little bit closer. And and I had one guy say one time, he's like, No, 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 it just takes a long time. Like you just have to be in Don's life for a really long time to ever get super close to her. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that people realize that so much of that came from like me wanting to protect them. Yeah. Right. And not knowing anything different because that was developed at 18 years old. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that was literally something that at 18 years old, I was like, Holy, I just watched how hard dealing with me almost dying was and thinking they'd lost me. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine them actually having to deal with losing me. So you know what? I'm going to not connect to them as deep so that that doesn't hurt so bad. Yeah. It's like if you have a smaller footprint when you leave, then it it takes less time for it to be covered over. 100%. At the end of the day, it's more of a a gift to the people around you to be able to see you fully so that you are able to have a lasting legacy. Right. And that's what's so funny to me is over this last, so over the last like year and a half of dealing with the health stuff for two years now, whatever it's been. Um some of my closest relationships became with my guy friends. 
Mm-hmm. And I was talking to one this morning and we were, we were actually talking about it. And he goes, this is like a big thought in my mind right now. And knowing we were going into this podcast today. And he said, why is that? Like, why is it that you're so much closer? And I said, because there's a natural disconnect because you're a man. Mm-hmm. And he just started laughing. And I said, you can be my best friend. You can mean everything to me. You can be so important to me, but I know you can separate your emotion and your logic. I know that it'll be easier for you to grieve me than it will be for some of my female friends. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, stop it. And he like, he was bugging me about it. Yeah. And, but it is like, it's been a shift this last year of like, Hey, wait, like I've always been super open, open and super vulnerable with people, but I never allow people in. Yeah. It's like that idea. I always keep everyone just a little bit at arm's length, but it's, 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 yeah, it's a thing of like, but I want to protect you, not protect me. Absolutely. And now trying to shift that in relationships, I'm like, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And what's coming to mind (laughs) for me is as you're talking about this, I used to have a very similar mindset where it was, if I don't miss you every day, then you're not going to miss me when I leave kind of a thing. If I just like, you know, if I can just stop talking to you and it's not going to affect my everyday life, then, then that's okay. Because I don't want people to be that close to me anyway. And now I've reached a different phase where it's like, I don't talk to all of my close friends every day. Sometimes I go weeks in between having a chance to really talk to them. And yet I know that we have this connection that goes far deeper than I've ever allowed it to go before. And it is a lot of work. And I think when it comes down to it, the people that we become when we allow ourselves to be that open is so much more vibrant Mm-hmm. Because oh, now 100%. we're showing that the we're not just showing the fancy little facade on the outside, the mask that we wear for everybody. Well, but it's not. But it's never even felt like it was a mask, and that's what's so interesting. It's been more of a. I don't even know how to describe it, because I'm authentic to who I am. Like I'm showing up just as me, and like no, no, no. and. Like we can get deep and have amazing conversations and be really connected, but it's like, but I don't ever want you to need me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. I don't ever want you to need me in that way. Like, like you can need me in regards to like, as a friend or as a coach or to support you in certain ways or anything like that. But yeah, it's like, just don't incorporate me into your daily activities. Yeah. Right. So it's like a different depth. I, yeah. 
I know my brain's entertaining. I <laughs> my, well, and people, I think... people laugh at me because they're just like, no, you like you're a great friend. You're just like this hilariously disconnected, busy person who like you love us and you love us so hard, but not in a normal like contact contact way maybe that makes more sense yeah absolutely and it's interesting because I would wonder how many people have that thought of I don't want to be needed right and how often do we allow that idea of I don't want to be needed to color our relationships. And in a sense, when you have gone through grief, it makes sense that you would put yourself in that position because you're not only protecting yourself, you're protecting others. But what about the people who haven't been through grief, where there's still this notion of, I don't want anybody to need me? Oh, 100%. And how do we shift that? How do we shift it into connection? How do we shift it into uh, community and coming back to the center? Well, I think a piece of it too is like finding safe people. Mm-hmm. So like one thing I've talked about openly and I even wrote about in my book is like I was born with this inability to bond. And that came like literally from conception and not being wanted and all of these things like this is actually a scientific thing Mm -hmm. and so every time I find a client that is dealing with that or a friend that's dealing with that or whatever right like there's a different connection almost between you immediately because you're like oh you get it you get that this is like a choice thing when it comes to love and it's a choice thing when it comes to that connection. And I do connect. It takes a very long time for it to like go from my head to my heart, but I do totally connect. And I'm sure you'd even agree with this. Like when I choose you, I choose you in your mind. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I like, (laughs) I've chosen you. You're my friend. You get put in the box. I love you. Yeah. I'm here for you. I will fight to the death for you. Like, what do you need? And right. It might take a bit to get in the box, but man, when I've chosen you, you're in. Once you're in that box, you're not leaving. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast episode is making me sound like a crazy person. And I get that. But, but it's also like, we all, because we all think about these things so different and we believe so different and we like, we struggle so different. It's, it's interesting even looking at that to be like, yeah, people are terrified to be needed. Right. Mm -hmm. But then we're also so scared of rejection and we're also so scared of not being loved. And we get caught in these like vicious cycles in our head around all of that. And I think I don't know. I think it's also interesting. And here's an interesting piece of grief I want to bring up is, did you find going through grief? Because this is something that I found really interesting is that everybody puts the person who died on a pedestal. 
Oh, hundred percent. Like absolutely. They put them up on a pedestal and like their shit didn't stink. Like they were perfect. And I remember when I was dealing with some grief in my life and I was like raging angry at the person and someone was like, how can you be mad at them? They're gone. And I was like, no, no, no. You can love someone and hate them at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that was an interesting piece for me because I had to really learn to accept that like in grieving, whether it was like, like I've lost all my grandparents, I've lost my mom like I mean my dad's walked away and I've had to grieve like he was a big one I've had to like pre-grieve because he hasn't like physically left this earth but he's walked out of our lives and it was interesting how I'm like no no no, you can love someone and hate them at the same time but in order to fully grieve someone you have to be able to grieve all the parts of them absolutely and that's absolutely it I've had this, I've had conversations about this with people who have also known Amy. And there are moments where the positive attributes, I fully believe if it wasn't for the fact that we choose to remember the positive attributes more than anything else. Um, the happy ones. They're the happy ones, but also the legacy of Amy's house would not be what it is if people are like, yeah, but she was also kind of a bitch sometimes, you know what I mean? And so <laughs> there, there are these problems. That is where, awesome. Yeah. Having that, having that pedestal is advantageous especially when you are building something that is giving back to the community and making such a big difference to so many people and will continue to make a difference to so many people but at the same time I've had moments walking in the river valley where I'm like it's so funny because I know there are moments I know the inner workings like she provided in me all of these things. And I'm like, she wasn't perfect. And yet we've all just decided to forget everything about that. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that gives me a little bit of hope in that I'm like, okay, if I just do a really good job of making people feel seen and heard and loved and when I pass away, they're going to forget about the times that I was absolutely a raging bitch about something <laughs> <laughs> i love that you're like this gives me hope <laughs> i will also be remembered as perfect 100 <laughs> percent. it's like if you're gonna build a legacy right I'm going to hope that people remember me as being a really good person. <laughs> oh, totally. And you know what? I think I want to talk about legacy for a second. So this is a hundred percent no sales podcast. That's something that I have said from day one. I've pulled episodes because of it. I have like said no to people because of it. Um, but one thing I do want to talk about when it comes to legacy is 
what the definition of that is for both of us, how, how you're actually fulfilling that, like the different parts and pieces of that, because it's, it's so many people think that it's like, oh, my legacy is like the money I'm leaving, or my legacy is the business I've built, or my legacy is right, fill in the blank. What did it mean for you? Like, what does legacy actually mean? Because this word keeps coming up in our conversation today. Mm -hmm. So for me, it goes so far beyond anything that is going to be physically left behind. Yeah. My legacy, the way I see it, is going to be in how I interact with people around me, how I work to empower the people around me, how I work to have people feel seen. And I guess in a sense, the the lucky thing, or maybe not the lucky thing, luck is a bad word to use in this situation, but <laughs> the thing that I can be grateful for, that's it. There we go be grateful for is the fact that because I've had to go through two major losses, I have had the chance to realize that it wasn't what they physically left behind. It was the emotional pattern that they left behind. Oh, I like that. The emotional pattern. hundred percent. It's like, if they didn't work to uplift the people around them if they didn't work to be a positive force for change yeah there would not be a scholarship in george's name there would not be monuments that have been put up in his remembrance there would not be ongoing posts to his memorial page by his students and his friends and his loved ones we would not have an amy's house we would not have okay let's uh, pause on that what is amy's house sorry uh amy's house is no because it's it's come up a few times as like the charity and the foundation this is why i mentioned the thing of not being a sales thing is this isn't a sales thing, but anyone who knows me knows I'm a charity junkie. So I love supporting charities. So talk to us about Amy's house really quick. And we're going to put all of the information to it in the show notes, but hear this on like what a legacy this is. Okay. So Amy's house is Amy's last wish. And when she was going through her cancer treatments, she would be in the chemo room for hours on end. And she started talking to other patients that were there with her. And she discovered that several of them would travel hours each way every day, five days a week to come into the city for their chemo treatments because they could not afford accommodations. They didn't have coverage or health insurance or whatever they needed to make it financially feasible to stay in the city. And even though there are other cancer houses around, the need for it is so great that there's consistently a waiting list at every single one of them. That's crazy. Yeah. It is insane. And so Amy being Amy was like, I'm going to change this. I want to make this better. When I get better, I want to make this better. And 
she took her cancer diagnosis as something of a of a challenge in a sense where instead of it being why me it was how can i use this to create awareness how can i use this to create change how can i use this to hopefully prevent somebody else from having to go through the same thing and or support them while they're going through it and so she said to her husband phil I want to create a cancer house. I want to create somewhere that people can come to the city and stay for free and be able to go through their can their cancer treatments without having to drive an hour and a half or two hours when you're already feeling like absolute crap. Right. And so six months after she passed away and I swear to God, she must have had a hand in it somehow, because I don't know how (laughs) Phil managed to pull this off in six months, but almost six months to the day after she passed away, we opened Amy's house, and Amy's house has hosted um, not just cancer patients, but really any patient that had a need to come into town for an extended period of time for medical treatments. And we've done it 100% on community support. Which is amazing. It's so amazing. It's so incredible. Believe the number of people that continually step forward and they'll say, I never met Amy, but I read her story and it inspired me. And I really want to be a part of this. And that to me is her essence of inspiration and community and creating community. And so the fact that we are physically helping people, but also providing them the psychological comfort of having a home away from home, that's amazing. And so as we seek charity status so we're in the process of that right oh, now amazing. we have run as a nonprofit for the last three years we survived covid we opened four months before covid yeah. and the the community banded around us and they said we're gonna keep this happening and it's been an absolute privilege to be a part of this. And so, yeah, Amy's house is the house that Phil and Amy brought their babies home to. It was their first home. And it's now a home away from home for people going through cancer treatments. So like, how cool, though, that not only did like, obviously, like her husband had decided to do this based on her wishes, all those things. But you guys now get to be part of that legacy, mm-hmm. right? Part of that legacy of continuing that and continuing the dream that she had and like tangibly hands on helping people. And I think that's where, when it comes to grief, when it comes to survivor's guilt, when it comes to, cause that's just natural, right? Like it's a very normal feeling to be like, why her and not me? 100%. Why that person and not me? Right? Yeah. 
whether it's a health issue or it's a death or it's a loss, it doesn't matter. That is so human. That is so normal to feel that way. And I know for myself, that's been a big piece of it is like, how can I carry on a legacy? Mm -hmm. Right. And so for somebody listening to this and thinking like, huh, what is my legacy going to be? Right. I think often people go to like a place of like, oh, well, I have kids. My kids are my legacy. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm raising them in a specific way. But like for Dallas and I, we ain't got no babies. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know. My legacy is not going to be my children, right? So what is it that I want to do? And so for anyone out there, I mean, with kids or not, or not kids, one of the things that I know my husband and I did was for our legacy was what do we want to instill in our nieces and nephews, Mm -hmm. right? What are things that we want to teach them? What are ways we want to help them? So everything from the crazy trips we take them on to doing charity stuff with them to conversations we have, the drive, the push, the determination, the support that, you know, all of that is a piece of like, how do we instill something in them Mm -hmm. to shift, right? And so for me, it's always been the ripple effect. I heard Dr. Henry Cloud, um, I was at a conference that he taught years ago. He's the guy that does all the boundaries books, highly recommend. And he was talking about often people are, it's like a boat, right? And people are so busy looking forward, like as to where they're going. And I'm like butchering this horribly, but like you're so busy looking forward to see where you're going in life and what's going on that you're never looking behind you at the wake you're leaving. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. And what is the wake you're leaving behind you and the ripple effect of that? Yeah. Right. That's- and that's this vision that I always have in my head is what is my wake I'm leaving? So mm-hmm. whether it's this podcast right? The messages that I've gotten from people going, thank you for that episode. It allowed me to finally like push through something in my life or I felt seen and understood or I, holy cow, I need to apologize for some people in my family as to how I've behaved, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is, like, this is a piece of my legacy is to have these hard conversations, my work, your work, how we work with people, how we talk to people, right? I've always said that when I die, I want people to be laughing at my funeral and to be like, she was crazy. Like she was hilarious or she was nuts or she was funny or, you know, she helped me through a really hard time in my life or, you know, whatever, whatever it was. But I want that to be the thing. Like, I refuse to have someone be like, she was this crotchety old lady that was miserable and she was selfish. Like, no, no, no. And that for me was one of the ways that I figured out what I wanted for my legacy was when I'm at my funeral, if I could actually like lay in the coffin and hear what people are saying, what would I want them to say? Absolutely. And 
For me, I I look at that very much the same way. It's something I love the fact that you you mentioned the wake um, behind the boat. That was one of the things when I was in school to get my coaching certification that they really drilled into us. Mind your wake, mind your wake, mind your wake, just because you have an effect on this one person, you have to be aware of how it's going to ripple out around them because we're all parts of interconnected systems, systems of people, systems of relationships. Um, If I work with somebody on a personal basis, it's going to affect them professionally too. It's going to show every aspect of their life. And so when I look at that, and again, with my legacy, similar to you, I don't want people to be like sad that, that, that I'm gone. I want them to be asking themselves, how can I do something similar? How can I leave a positive pattern of emotional well-being and societal well-being and deeper connections how can i create community how can i support those around me because at the end of the day and this is one of the things that i truly truly believe that any given society is only as strong as it is when it is working with its most um Oh gosh, uh, the word's escaping me right now. But the the individuals that have the least. The most vulnerable sector. The most vulnerable sector. How are we yeah. treating people in our most vulnerable sector? And if we're not working towards creating a community and a society that can actually support those people without it being stigmatized, then we're doing something wrong. Can I just say that (laughs) I'm sitting here smiling because I love, you know how much I love you and I love your heart and your passion and your love of people and all of these things. And I was like, you're such an adult compared to me. (laughs) And here's why I say that. And maybe this is like the most ridiculous way to finish off this conversation. But when we're talking about like what people would say at the funeral and you have like this amazing vision of like the conversations people are going to have and all of those things. And I'm like, I want people laughing at how I went out. <laughs> like, like I seriously want people showing up and being like, for real, like is that actually how she finally died? Like, is that actually (laughs) what took this one out? (laughs) But just, like, live life to the fullest. And so Mm -hmm. that's, like, the only reason why, I mean, I wish you guys could see this. I'm sitting here, like, smiling as Dallas is, like, having this beautiful, intense moment. Because I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm actually a (laughs) 12-year-old. Deep down. 
That's okay. That's okay. (laughs) Sorry, I apologize. Joy is a legacy too. Laughter is a legacy too. I and yeah, no, it's sorry. That's not at all how it should have ended this. But maybe that is though. Like, I think that people. I think it's something that people need to actually think about in life, right? And and at the same time, some people don't care. Some people actually don't care. They're just living life and they're enjoying it and all the power to you. Like, no shame, no judgment. I love it. I mm-hmm. absolutely love it. But for a lot of people, I think that this concept of legacy is so intimidating this idea of grieving is so intimidating. They're like these weird, scary topics and conversations that are actually really beautiful. They are. They are. They're difficult, but they're beautiful. And they're so beautiful. <laughs> and I think I- part of it is like finding safe people. And this is, this is the one caveat I would do to this, right? Is like even in finding friends or in finding all those things, I have often said about being my friend is I'm like, no, no, no. I'm the one you want. They're in the depths of your hell. Mm -hmm. I'm the one you want there when you need someone to be like, no, no, no. I'm going to hug you and squeeze you and help you put all your pieces back together. And I'm going to grieve with you and I'm going to do what you need to do. I'm good for that. If you need it, you ask. I will never like push myself on you in that way, but I am there if you need me. 100%. And I think because of that, I can be a safe person for someone when they're going through things. But like, I have friends I would never call if I was going through a hard time. (laughs) Yep. And not because, not because they're not amazing humans or they're not phenomenal friends or anything like that. But it's like, no, no, no. You actually just don't have the skill set. You don't have the capacity or you don't you aren't safe in this moment for who I need in this moment. And I think that that's a piece of it too, is like finding those people, finding the people that you can phone and you can cry to finding the people that you can phone and be like, I need you to figure out how to get me the hell out of this headspace right now. Cause I have to go into a meeting and I'm sitting in my car bawling and it's like, all right, this is what you're going to do. Right. And like, knowing those people in your life. So as you create your group, as you create your tribe, as you create your support system, as you create these things, knowing you need a little bit of everything. Absolutely. Right. And that's what's so beautiful about it. You need that friend that'll go to the depths of hell with you. And you also need the friend that is somebody who, you know, is just simply going to be the class clown, the jester, the the joker that is going to bring this lightness and levity just because they don't have the skills to go to the depths with you doesn't mean that they're not valuable. In fact, everybody is valuable. We all carry value. Oh, and- 100%. Right? It's just like it's just like the area. And yeah, I like to think that I'm the go to the depths of the hell with you and make you giggle at the same time. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> I can be your class clown and your 
your your trauma friend at the same time. Hundred percent. One thing I did want to touch on really quickly, and it's I'm absolutely, and then we're gonna get into our silly questions. Yeah, I I don't mean to throw this in at the no, very no. but another thing on grief, and I was having this conversation with a friend of mine fairly recently, and I talked about how one of the things that most upset me when I was going through the grieving process was when somebody would try and relate to me and they'd be like, well, I don't understand why it's so bad. Like I've lost my grandparents and I mean, it was sad, but it was, but you know, I got over it. Mm -hmm. And I think the difference between losing somebody who has lived a long and full life and somebody who has gone way too soon in George's case at 28 and in Amy's case at 38 is you now have to grieve everything that you don't get to experience with them. All the lost moments. Exactly. They will never be at my wedding. If I have a wedding, they will never see my kids. If I happen to have kids, they don't get to see and celebrate the growth and the changes that I make throughout my life. And I don't get to celebrate them. And so I feel grief can have different feelings and different complexities and different levels at which you need to go to. And having that understanding and being able to just witness somebody in the depths of their grief without questioning why it's so deep or what is happening and just saying, I will be here. I can be empathetic. I can sit with you in the dark and not feel the need to turn on the light as Brene Brown would say. That is powerful. That is so powerful. It is, right? So show up for your friends, people. Show up for them. (laughs) All right. So we're going to lighten this. We're going to lighten the whole mood of this whole thing. Silly question. (laughs) Okay. So you guys know that I do these like silly little questions at the end that are just like super fun and just silly. But one question, what is your secret guilty pleasure way to decompress? My seat. <laughs> oh, I've had some good answers, including <laughs> masturbation. So I'm just saying. <laughs> Whatever I'm... you need to say. But what is like one of your silly things? Like, is it like 90 Day Fiance? Is it? Oh, no. I I will legitimately put on 90s pop music and yes. I will do the most ridiculous lip singing and dance moves where I'm like, it's the idea is just to get so silly that I have to let go of anything that's weighing me down. So it's like, if okay, I love that so much, fears, I'm like, uh, uh. <laughs> it's like massive like facial expressions and like doing the pop moves and like <laughs> okay so here's what i'm gonna request for our listeners not a video even though they might want it not a video what i'm asking is can you email me even a list of like your top five or top ten or something songs that makes me the best 90s lip sync music. 
hundred percent. Perfect. Uh, Cabbage Gardens is on that list. Check the show notes. We are going to have this list for you so that we can picture Dallas rocking out to this to decompress. If you had to describe yourself in one sentence, what would it be? Oh. Serious or funny, doesn't matter. Oh my gosh, that's such a hard one. Um, one word. No, no, no. One sentence. One sentence. No, we are way too complex these days for one word. I hate <laughs> okay. when people are like, describe yourself in one word. And I'm like, complicated. <laughs> I'm just gonna say super complex. Yeah, right. <laughs> Super califragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> um, if I had to describe myself in one sentence, I would say that I am somebody who brings light to every room that I walk into, and yet I can have one of the deepest, darkest uh inappropriate senses of humor ever to the point where people around me look at me and go are you okay oh, that's awesome. that is awesome you know I'm the same so I like this <laughs> and one last one which is always a fun recommendation for people and I've actually had people buy these crazy things off of this is what is one thing you spend a silly amount of money on in your life one thing I spend a silly amount of money on my life, um, you know, being that I am a financial coach, I feel like I've, I've, I've narrowed pretty much all of the silly spending down. I still have a very joyful life, but the one expense I do not skip on is skincare. Because I'm going to be in this skin for the rest of my life. And I would have to have a really full, exciting, adventurous life, but I don't want it to show on my face. Yet. <laughs> that sounds like you're like hanging on to my youth. 100%. You have a skincare you recommend? I use Rodan and Fields. I absolutely love it. I've tried so many other ones and uh, I love the fact that I'm almost 40 and I'm fighting wrinkles and acne at the same time. Like, thank you universe. Like giving you the middle finger. I woke up this morning with like this (laughs) massive zit under my eye. I was like, how was that even a Thing. Thing, right? I'm almost and- 43. Come on. <laughs> right? And so I have now found a skincare line that helps control the wrinkles and the acne. And man, do I love it. So, Amazing. yeah. I love it. <laughs> so, Dallas, thank you so, so, so much for being here. Like, And for the listeners, I hope that you heard something today that hit home, that shifted something in you, proved you're not alone, that you learned something, or you just laughed at how ridiculous we are. (laughs) Love it. Thank you so much, Dawn, for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Join us again in two weeks for another super amazing topic. And please tell your friends, the more people that feel understood, the better. 
Check out the show notes located at thetaylorway.ca for more information and for the contact information for Dallas. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you love the show, it would mean the world to me if you'd leave a rating or a review. See you guys soon.